0: A pastor writes, I received a message on Instagram from someone I didn't know. Many people follow me who I don't really know, and I follow many people who I don't know, hoping to have an opportunity to impact them with the gospel. One day, someone sent me the following message. So, um, I see that you're following me, but I don't understand why. I'm like a homosexual Satanist. And I don't believe in fairy tales. Cough. God, cough. Yes. So, um, yeah. Unless you want something else from me, I would suggest blocking me. If you had received this message, what would you have done? How would you have responded? I wanted to say something that wouldn't turn him away. Something that would keep the conversation going. I thought for a moment, started to type, and hit enter. Why do you consider yourself a Satanist, I wrote. I just kind of skipped over the homosexual part and got right to the heart of the matter, and he responded by saying, just kidding, I'm an atheist. Then I wrote, so you're a comedic atheist, and he replied, I guess, ha ha ha. The next day I received this message from the guy, what do you get from God? What does he do for you? Wow, did I answer that question with joy. One of the things, many things I shared was, I feel like I'm never alone, that I'm blessed by God and that he has a plan, a direction for my life. I look up at the stars and think there must be a creator, that none of this is an accident. And I just read the Bible and it rang true. Then I challenged him to try to read the Bible. I figured he probably didn't own a Bible, so I wrote, Google James 1 and read it, and you will see how cool it is and wise. And he wrote back, I said I don't believe and I don't read fairy tales. So then I prayed, Lord, give me the perfect answer to pique his interest. And I sent him this message James is a history book. Try just one chapter. What would it hurt? What if it was a vast treasure just at your fingertips? And if, after reading one chapter, you think it's meaningless, then I'll understand. A couple of days went by, and I received a new message in my inbox from him. It read in all caps, BEST READ OF MY LIFE. I was working hard to be civil, and it's not always easy when you're having a conversation, especially one online. Often the best way to open the door to sharing Jesus and sharing your faith in Jesus with someone is to begin a very civil conversation. And this means we maintain a sincere, kind, and respectful tone as we dialogue. Not preach at them, dialogue with them. It also means praying for the Holy Spirit's guidance about what to say, including when and how to say it. Many Christians fall in two categories, two different extremes. Number one, there are some who don't engage with non-believers at all about spiritual matters because they feel afraid, intimidated, or ill-equipped. And secondly, there are others who do engage with non-believers, but it can be in a manner that is obnoxious or argumentative, critical, and judgmental. The solution, or the remedy, for do both of these extremes is found in 1 Peter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. The message version reads, Through thick and thin, keep your hearts at attention in adoration before Christ, your Master, and then be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are, and always do so with the utmost courtesy. Our effectiveness for the gospel begins with a reverence for Jesus as Lord in our hearts, and we are called from that to always be ready to give an answer to those who ask us for the reason why we live and have hope. And this must be done with gentleness and respect in a civil manner because it's coming from your heart which, as the verse states, is focused and adoring Jesus. What the world needs now more than ever before is for believers to be open, engaging, and available to engage in civil conversations. It's often difficult in a culture where people are becoming more and more hostile to Christianity and even to each other, and there are so many different camps, so many different approaches, so many different opinions. Just look at any comments section of a social media post or some news article online. It can be the simplest topic to the most controversial. It doesn't matter. In just about every instance, You will have people who disagree with one another and begin labeling and attacking without a filter. Civil discourse seems to have left the building. Having a civil conversation with someone when you disagree seems almost impossible. And I admit, sometimes it is hard to be civil. And we Christians are just as guilty as the non-Christians, as the non-believers. The truth is, we are not going to win anyone or convince anyone of anything with our harsh and obnoxious Facebook posts over petty differences. We are not going to argue anyone into God's kingdom. Instead, we need to engage in civil dialogues and civil conversations with those who do not know Jesus, and those who do, for that matter. Throughout scripture, almost every conversion story began with some type of civil conversation. In Acts 8, Philip had a conversation with an Ethiopian who ended up getting baptized. In Acts 10, Peter and a man named Cornelius had a conversation. And the next thing you know, Cornelius and his family surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. And it was in Acts 16, verses 13 and 14, during a conversation with Paul and his companions that a woman named Lydia opened her heart to receive Christ as Lord. Jesus preached and he taught the people, but in his one-on-one conversations we see that he would often take on a very different approach and was always being civil, conversing and asking questions. And one of the best examples of this is recorded in the Gospel of John chapter 3. A man named Nicodemus had an encounter with Jesus, and his life was forever changed. John chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus was someone you might meet for the first time and think, he'll never become Christian. The guy had political influence and clout. He represented the status quo. He was wealthy, a guardian of the rules, a keeper of the laws. Nicodemus subscribed to all kinds of unwritten laws as a teacher of Israel. He represents the people who believe that by keeping all the rules you are somehow saved or made righteous or good to go with God. And yet Nicodemus came to Jesus at night because he was very intrigued by him. He wanted to learn more about him and the things that he'd been teaching and the miracles. signs and wonders. So, Nicodemus says, Rabbi, which means teacher, and the conversation begins. Verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And there's some things to note within Jesus and Nicodemus's exchange that will be immensely helpful to you and me as we share our faith and share it in a very civil manner. Number 1, get straight to the point. Jesus was willing to have a civil conversation with Nicodemus, but he also politely got straight to the point. Verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, it could have been because it was late at night and Jesus was tired after a long day. Small talk was not something Jesus wanted to engage in. But it most likely had more to do with Jesus' desire to see Nicodemus saved. So he didn't pull any punches. He did not shy away from the opportunity to speak openly, to speak honestly, with one of Israel's most important and religious leaders. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's pretty direct. And truly, truly, by the way, means, listen carefully, I'm not lying, Nicodemus heard this phrase born-again and he couldn't figure it out. He simply didn't understand it So he asks a question verse 4 How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered and once again, he didn't mince words Truly truly I say to you unless one is born of water and the spirit He cannot enter the kingdom of God that which is born of the flesh is flesh that which is born of the Spirit is spirit." Of course, we know what this meant, but Nicodemus didn't. What Jesus meant was that Nicodemus had already been born physically. He needed now to be born spiritually, but Nicodemus didn't get it. But to be fair, consider where we are in history. Jesus has not died on the cross yet. The day of Pentecost was still three years away. The church had not started yet. There were no pastors, no church buildings on the corner of the street, no crosses on church buildings. Jesus was speaking prophetically when he pointed out the truth of being born of water and of spirit. No wonder Nicodemus didn't understand. I'm not sure at this point in the conversation he was supposed to understand. And Jesus might have been thinking, you can't handle the truth but he laid everything out directly anyways. You know, folks, sometimes when believers are talking with someone who doesn't know Christ, we beat around the bush. We use too many words. We sugarcoat and preface or water down the message. Jesus' civil conversation with Nicodemus teaches us that sometimes we need to get right to the point. This does not mean that you should be fanatic, rude, or abrupt. Jesus was gentle. Jesus was at ease as he shared the truth. It may not be comfortable to confront someone's beliefs, but you can learn to do it in a civil manner. And as we practice sharing our testimony, as we practice sharing the gospel message, we must learn to cut out all the hemming and hawing and get down to what's most important the simple story of Christ transforming love. I think the second thing we can pull out of the story of Jesus' civil conversation with Nicodemus, the second thing is that the Spirit is there and is always moving and ministering. Because next, Jesus says to Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. That's John chapter 3, verse 8. Nicodemus asks, how can this be? Verse 9. The reason he asked the question is because he was convinced that the law was what saved the person. But since the law cannot save, there was a restlessness in Nicodemus's soul. Despite the fact that he was a lawman and had money and fame and power, position and religion, he was empty inside. He was searching. He didn't know why he was feeling what he was feeling. And he wasn't sure what he was searching for, but he was searching. Or else he would not have come to Jesus in the first place. I think Jesus was trying to quiet all the noise in Nicodemus's mind and heart by saying, Shh, listen to the sound of the wind. The Holy Spirit of God is drawing you towards something that can save. And here's the best part. Even though Nicodemus came searching for Jesus that night, it was actually Jesus by the Holy Spirit who was searching for Nicodemus. Do you remember the story in the Bible about the man named Zacchaeus, who was a short little guy? And Zacchaeus climbed a tree to look for Jesus, who was passing through the town of Jericho where Zacchaeus lived. Jesus looked up and said to him, and this is found in Luke 19, verse 5, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Let me ask you a question. Was Zacchaeus searching for Jesus, or was Jesus searching for Zacchaeus? Even though Zacchaeus was a wealthy tax collector, a sinner by everyone else's account, he was valuable to the Lord, and Jesus was looking for him and wanted to be a guest in his home. And after encountering the Lord, Zacchaeus repented of his sins, vowing to give half of what he owed, owned to the poor and to pay restitution to anyone he cheated in the past. If there was any doubt that Jesus was in fact looking for Zacchaeus, what the, the, Lord, what the Lord declared next should clear things up in Luke 19, verses 9 and 10. Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus was looking for Zacchaeus more than Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus. Jesus was looking for Nicodemus more than even Nicodemus was looking for Jesus. God's Spirit moved in the heart of Nicodemus to seek out Jesus for the answers to his questions. So behind the scenes, this very moment, the Spirit of God is moving. And he blows wherever he wants to. And as you approach casual conversation with others, take comfort in the fact that God's spirit is always moving and wooing, drawing people to the foot of the cross, even in folks you think would never be saved. There's a blogger named Russell Moore, and he wrote, The next Billy Graham might be passed out drunk in a fraternity house right now. The next Charles Spurgeon might be making posters for a gay pride march right now. The next Mother Teresa might be managing an abortion clinic right now. But the Spirit of God can turn all that around and seems to delight to do so. Folks don't ever doubt whom God can reach and who God can save. So in speaking to anyone and everyone Be civil, polite, gentle, kind, gracious, and get to the point so the Holy Spirit can do his work. You share the truth of the gospel, the Holy Spirit convicts them of sin and moves in their heart to receive Jesus. Here's what I know is true. Right now there are people in your life, and perhaps even folks you have not met yet, who are restless in their heart and their soul, just like Nicodemus and Zacchaeus. They're wondering what it means to be alive. They're wondering, what's my purpose? What's my reason for living? And there is an emptiness in their heart that the law, that self-righteousness, money, power, fame, sex, relationships, drugs, alcohol, cannot fill. The Spirit of God could be reaching out to them through you. Let that amazing truth be your confidence as you initiate civil conversations with them about matters of the faith. So number one, straight to the point. Number two, remember the Spirit is working with you and is always moving. And number three, you need patience. Even when they don't understand what you're saying, even when they don't receive what you're saying, you need patience. After Nicodemus asked, how can this be? Jesus continued to talk with him and explain himself in quite some detail. Even though Nicodemus was a teacher of the law and should have been able to grasp these concepts, even though by all appearance this conversation is not going anywhere and his conversion is nowhere in sight, Jesus was patient with them. And what we learn from Christ's approach and his demeanor is that we must be patient with others even when they don't understand, even when we don't think or cannot believe that they'll ever respond properly to the gospel. Jesus patiently took Nicodemus back to a familiar story. Remember, he's Jewish and a Jewish teacher of the law. So he takes him back to a familiar story in Numbers chapter chapter 21 to explain in his terms, salvation. People of God were complaining when they should have been rejoicing, should have been rejoicing because God had delivered them captivity in Egypt and was leading them to the promised land. They questioned Moses' leadership abilities. They didn't like the monotonous and dry food God was supplying to them free of charge daily, home delivery. They began to infect the camp with poisonous words. So the Lord sent real, live snakes into their midst to do literally the very thing the people were doing, guilty of doing, figuratively, poisoning. And many of the Israelites died. Those who were left realized their sin and went to Moses to repent. And they knew they were doomed and beyond hope. In recounting this story, Jesus reminded Nicodemus how Moses lifted up a bronze snake on a pole and whoever looked upon that snake would live. And Jesus, just as he did with his born-again statement earlier, was pointing out the spiritual with the physical. In fact, he told Nicodemus that he was speaking of heavenly things. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so much the Son of Man be lifted up or crucified, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus was patient with Nicodemus as he led him to the truth of the gospel. And we are called to do the same in our civil conversation with others. It may look like they don't understand. It may look like they're never going to receive the message, the gospel of the kingdom. But God has called us to lift up Jesus so that he can draw all people to himself. That's our job. And that is all we have to be focused on. More and more every day, our world is becoming so divided, so confused, and so poisoned. And like the Israelites who had snakes in the midst of their camp, it may seem as though we are all doomed. Our only hope is Jesus Christ. In everything we do, in every conversation we have, we believers must be loving, patient, truthful, and above all, civil and as we are civil we lift up jesus so that the entire world will believe so here are my points out of john chapter 3 number one cut to the chase straight to the point speak the truth in love number two the spirit is always moving in people's lives and number three be patient even when they don't understand or it doesn't look like they ever will understand. So, as I put, attempt to put myself in Nicodemus' sandals after this fascinating conversation with the Savior of the world, here is what I imagine Nicodemus saying, or at least thinking. Jesus, everything that you're saying has completely turned my thought process upside down. Everything I have ever been taught since I was a child is in the law. Is what saves. You come along with these miracles and signs that force me to listen to you. And you tell me I have to be born again with water and the Spirit, and that the Son of Man must be lifted up. I imagine Nicodemus continuing, Jesus, I am an educated man, but I need you to simplify this for me. I'm very interested, but I don't understand. I know the scriptures front and back. I know what the rabbis have taught for thousands of years, but I have no idea what you're talking about. So perhaps then, in the greatest verse in John's entire gospel, Jesus really did simplify it all for Nicodemus when he declared, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life people can keep all the laws but the laws cannot save they can be leaders among leaders but fame and recognition can't save and they can be wealthy but material possessions cannot save only knowing the son of god jesus can save a person christ went to the cross and died for the sins of the world. And all who believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life." And as Jesus spoke in a very civil and friendly manner with Nicodemus, we can show others through patient civil conversations that it was all part of God's plan, God's story, God's love, God's spirit, God's calling, God's son, God's salvation. Any time you see people getting saved, lives being changed, miracle signs and wonders happening, and people moving from darkness to light, it is all God. Anything good you see is because God is at work around the world to redeem humankind before Jesus returns. Unbelievers may not understand this, but we can help them. However, sometimes I admit it is hard to be civil.